The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Welcome to another episode of Serious Fun. As always, I'm your host, Brian Carr, and uh, we're going to start off by kind of telling you this is going to be a different sort of episode of Serious Fun than you're probably used to. I also want to start off by thanking Stitcher. We're now part of the Stitcher network, so thanks, Stitcher. Um, Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about Untitled Town. Untitled Town is an annual event uh, held here in Green Bay uh, to celebrate writing, storytelling, books, authors, artists, all that good stuff, all the people who try to kind of like uh, put a mirror to our lives and and tell us what's going on and uh, tell stories and captivate us in all these interesting ways. Um, And I was fortunate enough to be invited to moderate a few panels this year. Uh, So as part of me moderating, I said, hey, can I record these and and put them out on Serious Fun? And they said, sure. Uh, And all the folks who are on the panels were happy to do so. So um, I'm going to be putting up a few of these uh, throughout the next couple of weeks. I've got some other stuff going on too that we're going to come back to, but uh, I want to start off with a uh, one that I was very excited about. Uh, this is a panel from Untitled Town about graphic novels and comics, and uh, it is with uh, two um, two artists that have ties to the uh, the local area. We have Kristen Radke, um, who wrote a book called "Imagine Only Wanting This" or "Imagine Wanting Only This." I got to get that right. Um, and uh, she's uh, from she's a Green Bay native, so she's it was kind of cool to have her back. Uh, we also have Mr. Lou Meff, who's out of Milwaukee. Um, he was uh, wrote a uh, he actually has a comic strip going on called uh, Angry Cat Zombie Protocol, uh, and he's done a lot of other work for uh, comics and video games and that kind of stuff. So a lot of really interesting stuff. Very different approaches to comics and the genre uh, or the form, I should say, but very cool and I really am excited to share that with you so without any further delay here is a live recording from Untitled Town about graphic novels and comics with Mr. Lumef and Kristen Radke here on Serious Fun. everybody. Uh, it's very excited to be here talking about comics and we've got two very talented uh, comics makers here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce them. Um, to my immediate left we have Mr. Lou Meff. Uh, he was born and raised in Milwaukee. Uh, he has he works in video games and game design but he also uh, draws comics. Uh, his current comic is Angry Cat Zombie Protocol as you can tell by his very stylish hoodie there. Um, He's uh, self-described as hip-hop. He's a songwriter, producer, and MC as well. Uh, he calls himself a perpetual learner with a do-it-yourself creative process. Um, his works reflect a fusion of satire, spiritual consciousness, science fiction, and humor to communicate a lush and whimsical interpretation of the world. So I have lots to talk about for sure. Um, and then we also have, uh, over on the other end, uh, we have a Green Bay native, right? That's right, Kristen Radke. Uh, she is the author of the graphic nonfiction book, Imagine Wanting Only This, which was named a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writer's Pick and a Best Book of the Year by Entertainment Weekly, Booklist, Kirkus Reviews, Forbes, BuzzFeed, and many other places. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, GQ, Oxford American, Virginia Quarterly Review, and others. She's also the art director and New York editor of The Believer magazine. So thank you both for being here, and uh, welcome back to Green Bay, and welcome to Green Bay, respectfully. So I want to start off, um, you know, as was alluded to, I do research in, in comics and that kind of stuff. And one of the people that really kind of like got me started in that role when I was very young was Charles Schultz. Um, I assume you guys probably are you know, also, it's hard to find somebody who wasn't at least a little bit influenced by Charles Schultz. Yeah. Um, and, and I found this quote as I was preparing for this. Why do musicians compose symphonies and poets write poems? They do it because life wouldn't have any meaning for them if they didn't. That's why I draw cartoons. It's my life. And, and I think what's interesting about comics and, uh, is, is that they are inherently a very personal medium. You put a lot of yourself onto the page. And I guess we can kind of start off with um, how, like, when, when you sit down to make a comic, like, how much of it is you on the page? Like, how much are you, like, really kind of transferring your life, your experience, your interests, your values into the art you create? 
Um, I think it, it's a really interesting question. <clears throat> I think it depends on the project. I think it depends if the project is nonfiction or fiction. But I think I think everything we do is really personal. Like I think every form of art is personal. Um, not certainly not just comics. I think uh, and even in nonfiction, you know, if you have a character that resembles you in some way, it's still a construction. Like it's not it's not your whole self on the page, and you're choosing to show certain parts of yourself. So it's sort of a combination, I think, of the personal and then the, the craft. I would agree. I totally agree. Um, it's like trying to reconstruct. I think for me, too, it's like some kind of way of trying to find a connection with other people because there's still some kind of way you want people to understand that. Um, and, and I think the artfulness comes with how to reconstruct it in a way that it still connects, but I kind of like to scramble the signal a little bit, you know, something make it that connects to like childhood, especially um, when I come to figure out how to how to create a story um, and what direction to take it from. And this is dealing with nonfiction stories. Um, yeah, that's that's just what I think. <laughs> okay. Um, so one thing I find kind of interesting about comics is that, you know, um, for the longest time they're kind of looked down on as a medium, right? And uh, uh, looking at another really influential uh, creator, I've, I've got a lot of quotes, like this, so just, we'll, we'll just kind of like open that up right now. Um, Jack Kirby, a uh, guy who's probably one of the most influential comics artists of all time, um, said that, I felt the comics grew because they became the common man's literature, the common man's art, the common man's publishing. So this is a two-part question. Do you think that Kirby's right? Do you think that's true? And then also, from that perspective, what are comics offering potentially that traditional prose might not be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like the way that we look at comics is changing, I think. There's certainly like a larger tradition of graphic novels now that are sort of making, getting mainstream attention, that are getting nominated for awards. Although, like, you know, Mouse won the, the uh, Pulitzer in the 80s, and I haven't seen, like, a huge rash of Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic mm -hmm. novels in the, since then. Um, but, and, and I like the idea that it's sort of the everyman's art form, but I also feel like, in a lot of ways, most people don't always have access to comics. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that comics can sometimes be sort of a closed community, mm -hmm. and like even how the basics of a how to read comics or how to like there's so many different traditions of comics that I think it's hard to find an entrance point if you don't have a you haven't been reading them for a long time or if you don't have like a guide to bring you in. I think the main, mainstream stuff, especially cinema, is kind of plugging into that, like kind of revitalizing it sort of as a genre, as a, a medium for communicating uh, ideas through uh, pictures. Um, it is easier because it it's very common, man. It, it's like you're spending like $20 to go to a movie, but like you can see in a, a, an abridged one. And plus it, it leaves, still leaves the audience with the ability to kind of do the tweening as it were, using like an anime, animation term. Like the, the, the reader can still kind of participate in how the medium is expressed and internalized in them. Um, that will still kind of make it kind of, because a lot of this stuff comes off of uh, common themes and archetypes that everybody is, that creates bonds with and every, and where everyone can experience. So, yeah, I'm just going to just that's gonna keep it like that. <laughs> keep well, it right there. It is interesting because like this idea of comics is kind of a closed community that Kristen brought up. I think there is a lot of truth to that, especially if you look at kind of like the, the mainstream comics publications. You have like there's a small percentage of artists and writers who are continually getting work. That's a very hard thing to break into. And um, for the longest time, there was that kind of barrier, especially in that kind of comics, that was sort of keeping people out, right? Yeah. They were left to kind of like hobbyist mm. stores, or they're kind of like pushed off to like a, a dark corner of the, of the bookstore. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, so yeah the, and I think going off of that, I think as a re result, then we have two closed communities. We have like the yeah. underground community that mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have access to. Like the underground comics sort of came out of like really traditional, like highly constrained publishing forms. Like there was something called the Comics Code that um, up until not that long ago, I think the late 70s, um, yeah. maybe even later, 
but that was really specific rules about what could appear in comics and what couldn't. So then as a result, people started making comics themselves. And there was this whole underground network of comics, which yeah. is where like some of our, like, you know, like our crumb, you know, some, yeah. like, some of our most famous cartoonists come out of. Um, and then, but then as a result, that's a hard community to break into because I think there's a, there's that community is then very closed off because they've been attacked for so long. Like, it's just like, there's just these like barriers, I think. Mm -hmm. Sometimes preventing access. What what kind of barriers do you think exist? Like, I mean, I think it's the same complaints people have about the literary world. Like, it's really hard to gain access to the literary world when you're first starting. I think the same things exist for comics, especially because there's fewer comics artists. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and again, I think one of the things that's been interesting is that uh, you know, speaking of the comics code, like that was actually holding back a lot of. Creativity and it was like a bit and I remember being a big deal when um, well, we got the internet now Well, the internet. Yeah, that's just gonna say that is one of the things that's really kind of I think maybe either helped break down some of those barriers or and this may be something we can talk about also potentially might have created another smaller kind of cloister of comics totally. artists mm. was the was the was the you know kind of like uh, inauguration of web comics yeah. and the internet as a publishing platform so um, I know Miss um, Lee you, you print you publish a lot of your stuff online and I, and I know you have some things online as well how has the internet kind of like changed the way we have either you know consume comics think about comics even make comics uh, I think it kind of makes the creator a little bit more beholden to, to have content, mm -hmm. you know, to create for people. Um, it's like a way you gotta kinda create demand for it, but at the same time you gotta have the demand already created <laughs> beforehand. So it's like a weird paradox, but like, gotta have, a, gotta have a good idea, and you gotta be the one to be out there, like pushing it. And then, I'm kinda from an older generation where you still, I used to hand out CDs and stuff mm -hmm. and sell CDs hand to hand. So I still want to do that too, like getting face to face people. That's why, like, I found getting out and engaging. Like, I started doing uh, the comics fests and stuff like that. Uh, Mighty Con every year, at least two or three times a year, and uh, getting out there too. And then you meet all the communities. Like, there's ways to really. It's like so, so many keen things about being cloistered within a cloister at the same time because you relate to all those things that people would consider fringe, you know what I mean? But you still, and then like the community is so like, hey, I'm a creator too, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You see each other at the same ones over and over again. So, yeah, that's. Yeah, I feel like the internet is really an extension of that. Like, I feel like now. It doesn't matter if you're geographically isolated. You can develop a network of creators, and I feel like the, one of the most important parts about making work is having people like that you trust to read your work to see. You know, the, I think sometimes we need readers before we know if we're working in the right direction or not. And I think that gives us sort of an entrance point. And even as someone who edits comics and art for my day job, I find a lot of my artists through the, like just through stuff that they've published on their own Instagram that they're not getting paid for that mm -hmm. they're putting out there and they're just making work every day mm -hmm. and the hope I think often is that someone's going to find them and then pay them for their work and give them a larger platform which is something I really feel excited about doing because there is a difference between putting something on your Instagram mm -hmm. and getting 2,000 likes and getting paid for your art which should be the goal. Yeah. Well there's also the challenge I think a lot of artists face online which is that it's very easy to take something you think is funny or insightful and then pass it along like you made it mm -hmm. and just kind of strip that identifying mm. characteristics off the art too. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, is, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean that's why a lot of artists put their signature in the corner of each right. image. I've, I mean I've not really seen that happen a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that, it, I know that it does. Like I've worked with artists before if I've published their piece on like BuzzFeed or something where they mm -hmm. really insist on having like an identifying marker on each right. thing because mm -hmm. it'll just end up on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. at infinity but that's also yeah. the risk of putting things online to begin with mm -hmm. that aren't copyrighted I think for some artists too there's like a purest type of a thing to it where it's like it's art it's art for free and you know what I'm saying art I don't want to be like stamped or commodified mm -hmm. but at the same time you want to get paid and you want to eat too so yeah that's a very wise word of warning <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you gotta protect yourself too yeah who would you say are some of your major influences um, when it comes to your own work? Um, people who have like really kind of like paved the way or, you know, work that speaks to you or work that, you know, even if it's not necessarily like a direct influence, but work that you kind of like look at and say, 
this is what I want to, I want, you know, this, this makes me want to be better. Like what, what, what would you say are some of the big influences on you? Um, for me, I would never have started writing graphic stuff if it wasn't for Alison Bechtel. Like mm -hmm. she's of course a really obvious example for a graphic memoirist or someone who writes graphic nonfiction at all. I just feel like no one was really doing what she was doing in terms of a, like a high level of storytelling in addition to the drawing skill. Mm -hmm. And then on a sort of aesthetic level, I think like Adrian Tomine is one of the best illustrators working in comics today. So I feel like I always look to him to be better. Right, man. <laughs> um, oh, um, it's too many for me. Uh, George Lucas, because I'm like, Star Wars, forget about it. Um, Ralph Bakshi, um, Charles Schultz, like you said. Um, Oh my gosh, Chuck Jones. Oh, wow, it's way too many. Todd McFarlane, even though he took it off feet. Was it, was it, was it McFarlane or Liefeld? Like who, Life, it was Liefeld. Yeah, Liefeld's the one who couldn't draw feet. He couldn't draw feet. But was like a multi-billionaire. Yeah, So, yeah. you know, never give up, kids. <laughs> Charles Schultz, too, his first rejection yeah. was, was like, right, or send it to us again when we learn how to draw hands. Yeah. Oh, how, do you ha how did you handle your first rejection? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I don't, probably not well. <laughs> I mean, the, the, th the whole thing about rejection I like is that, it's, I like it's that. meaningless. Like, I, I know that as an editor, I miss things all the time. Um, and I think that's also why you need multiple irons in the fire. Like, yeah. if you turn in one project, you should be working on another one immediately mm -hmm. because then there's less stakes in everything you do. Like, you're always propelled forward, and it becomes about making work, not just about what's the reception of this work going to be. Nice. I like that. I needed that. See, <laughs> Um, is that the, the whole notion of like work as commodity and that kind of thing is kind of an interesting concept because if you think about like some of uh, you know another kind of classic sort of influential cartoonist was Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and yes. Hobbes, and he was like adamant about not licensing his characters out and like letting the work speak for itself. Yeah. He saw like you know Garfield and Peanuts, and he said, "I didn't want that." Um, and you know, is that is this was, I think for him it's partially lost control. But like, um, is is that ever a concern um, when you're making your own work like that? This might become like you know, my memoir might become a musical and I lose control of it, or my, you know, my work might be, like, put on, like, cups at McDonald's and then I lose control of it. Like, is that ever a concern? No, I mean, you'd be so rich if your work was like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think for me, like, especially if I'm working on a project for years, by the time I'm done with it, I'm really ready to be done. Mm -hmm. And I, there's often a really painful process about, you know, I, I'm, so the day my book came out, I felt amazing. I felt like on top of the world, my first book. And then the second, second day, I felt so depressed. Like mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, I just put, poured, in a certain way, your first book feels like your whole life. It's like everything you ever thought or felt said somehow is on the page or you want it to be. Yeah. And I remember calling my friend who's a great novelist and I said, you know, is it supposed to feel as terrible? And he said, of course, it's like that for everyone. You've, you spent years on something and now it's only real which I feel like is the most beautiful way to put that now it's only real and it's out in the world and it's not really yours anymore. But also when you release work that way, it frees you up to make more work and it frees you up to like, the, I like the idea that when a reader you know, holds my book, it's not mine, it's theirs and they can interpret it however they want, which is sometimes painful. But also like that's, I feel like we, we shouldn't make art for ourselves. I feel like we, yeah. the point is to make it for other people. That's how I planned um, Angry Cat. This is like, at least the, that's why it's called Angry Cat Zombie Protocol. Because I got like two other ideas for stories. And like, I can only imagine like after doing the Zombie Protocol, like there's going to be like this lapse where I'm like, well, I have to let that go. You know, yeah, you, you kind of mourn it. Yeah. But like, I think it, I, I plan to do it that, that way just because it's something I'm giving, like yeah. sharing with, this is a piece of me. Here's this piece now, get ready for the other piece. Yeah. Of that piece, so yeah. I'm going to kind of like turn it in like a very. I'm going to take like a hard, sharp left turn here and kind of talk about like the, the actual kind of like nitty gritty of, of art because um, one of the things that's tricky about comics is that, and this kind of speaks to the the comics literacy thing you were talking about earlier, um, is that there's a specific way you have to read them, right? And different cultures have different ways of, of setting that up. For example, in manga, you have to read uh, right to left, which is completely, um, if, you, if you grew up, like when I, like growing up reading comics the, the Western way, I tried reading manga, but I was, I was like confused about 90% yeah. of the time yeah. until mm -hmm. I really, until like I just essentially reprogrammed my brain to think that way. Um, 
But, you know, a lot of it's about spacing, sequential art, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in between the panels, which is the tweening you were talking about, is that there's the assumption, and I forget where I was reading, like, this really interesting thing, they said, like, you know, okay, if you have an axe rising in one panel, and then it falls in, like, into somebody's head, for example, in the next one, it's up to the reader to imagine how fast it falls, the severity, that kind of stuff. There's a lot that goes on in between those panels. So and this has always been kind of fascinating to me, is just the whole notion of, like, creating that illusion of progress and forward motion with static images. So I guess my, my question is, how important is that space to you as, an art, as, a, as a comics artist? Like, do you think about that as you're playing these things out? Like, like, are you trying to think of, like, this is the sort of, like, minute of time I'm trying to show, and then how do you block that out? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think about that a lot. I don't know about you. I, I think, for me, pacing is the most interesting part of comics, I think, and, like, pacing and silence. You know, like... Um, you probably, if like I draw a character, like if I'm drawing you getting up in the middle of the night to get a snack, we don't need to see like every step he right, takes. Right. But maybe this is like the most important snack of his life. Yeah. And we do <laughs> yeah, yeah, step. yeah. You know, I like that idea that we can, I think like the first draft of, of my book, it was sort of like, you know, like a soap opera when the scenes are like someone yells at someone and throws a drink and slaps someone and like slams the door and the scene is over in like 17 seconds. Glass mm-hmm. breaks. Yeah, the exactly. Door. <laughs> I think like my first draft was sort of like that before you learn how to inject those moments of silence and slow things down. The risk then is you can overdo it because if everything is like a sweeping two-page spread, mm-hmm. then like nothing has that drama. Like you have to use it, I think. I think part of it for me was, came down to like how I was gonna have it packaged because it was like, I'm gonna have this many copies and I'm gonna do it in this size. So I have this many pages to work with. So that'll determine yeah. like how I pace it. And I already know how I have a th- maybe three act thing. So then I figure out how to, I determine pacing like backwards from the back the other way, I guess. <laughs> and also it's like, um, then I think about um, like uh, like Watterson, like yeah. uh, Calvin and Hobbes stuff the, to determine my pacing too. Like try and keep it simple, like in threes. I got the Rick and Morty yeah. type of thing yeah. going on. Like comedy, best comedy comes in threes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I try and keep it as simple as possible. Well, it's interesting, like, and, and, and formatting, you brought that up, um, because, you know, Watterson was kind of notorious, like, he would, like, would constantly, pretty much, I guess, anybody you asked him, he would rant about how, like, in the newspaper comics, the, the space is shrinking. So that means the space you have for art is also shrinking. And it's harder and harder to, and if you looked at, like, Watterson's work, like, especially the Sunday comics, there are these big, lush, watercolor things, and it's just, like, you can't imagine a newspaper giving space to that anymore. Right. And especially, like, you know, because um, I'll say, I'll, I'll read, um, you know, and, and I feel like almost horrible saying this because I would have never imagined this a couple of years ago. Um, like, I'll read comics on my phone. And so I've got, like, Marvel Unlimited. I'm reading, like, X-Men or whatever. And I'm just like, this feels wrong, but I also don't want to actually get, like, something bigger to read it on. Um, so I guess my, my question uh, ultimately I'm leading to is how have, like, you know, you know we're, because we don't have as many, like, big, like, paper spaces and, you know, we're moving to, like, e-books and, and readers, how is that changing the format of comics? Because it can be very hard to read those big splash pages on a phone screen or even a tablet or something like that. I think when one, I think things are just changing. Like, I think that comics, the space for comics doesn't look like it used to, but there are new places, too. Like, we talked about the internet, you know, or, like, when I took over the comic section at The Believer, we went from two pages of strips to 20 plus pages of narrative comics. Like there are always new places opening up. And I think it's also our jobs as creators to help open up those spaces. But, and it's, and it's even about approaching, like there aren't those spaces in newspapers anymore. But you know, like recently I pitched the LA Times a comics book review and they gave me like 18 inches. Like that's, mm. does not exist in comics anymore. In in newspapers but like maybe there's a new opportunity and it might not be the kind of comic you imagined doing initially but that's a that's a big space do you think there's a possibility that artists can create because you know how the print media is kind of you know it's changing do you think it you think artists can create a whole new kind of kind of like economy or stream out of that can we create a demand in a dying medium as it were just by the content we create, like, um, can, I don't know. The internet does kind of like give you more options. Um, which is, yeah. But so do books. I mean, so do books. Like, I look at, you know, sale, if you look at ebook sales for comics, it's way smaller than print book sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people still want, like, beautiful hardback mm-hmm. graphic novels. I, I don't think that demand is going away. Mm-hmm. 
it's all it's still comics is still the only growing market in books like it's the only one that's consistently rising each year yeah especially you know in certain categories like uh manga does yeah. very very well the graphic novel collections of single issue comics yeah. do very very well and so um which i find kind of interesting because like you know there is that digital push that a lot of big publishers are making for comics right and you're also seeing a lot of people who are going and starting out and creating their own thing saying well rather than trying to go through the headache right. of getting published like you know going to image or some other publisher like that I'm going to say, all right, if I want to do this like installment, the serial comic, I'm just going to go straight to Comixology, throw it up there for 99 cents an issue. Um, I, I don't know if that like speaks to the kind of revenue streams you're talking about, but um, I, I think that is, do you think that's also maybe opening it up to people who might not have really had the sort of encouragement to do this absolutely, otherwise? Absolutely. Definitely gives you the freaking gusto that we just mm -hmm. go and just say, forget it. I'll just go ahead and put it out myself, mm -hmm. you know. I know enough people who, who love my art and were telling me my life at some point in time that it's, it's good enough, it's beyond good enough. So get it out there and I'll support it. So just why not, you know? Way too many opportunities out here now. I said, just go for it. <laughs> and the metrics of internet fandom are such that even like something that's modestly, like even if only like a few thousand people read it, those people are probably rabidly obsessed with it and will happily like sustain you for a yeah, while. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, you see that in a lot of like online forums, podcasting, that kind of stuff too. Um, all right, so let's, I have there's another thing I wanted to say. Okay, so, you know, we have, we, we have two very different creators here, okay? Um, there's a very, there's a wide gulf, I would say, between biographical comic and um, cats fighting zombies. Um, they're both, and, and I think it depends it's, on your life. It depends right. on your life. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you might have a more interesting life than I do. Um, but uh, you know, one, and I think the thing we fall into is if you people look at comics, like oh, they think comics are just like you know either like little gag strips or you know big superhero punch ups or something like that. Um, what like uh, do you, is it your experience that most people think comics only operate in a few genres? And um, if is like what's been your experience with that? You know, I think like I think comics is not really a genre. I think comics is a form. Right. Like, an essay can be in comics. A novel can be in comics. Uh, yeah. You know, like a superheroes can be in comics. They can also be in prose. Mm -hmm. Like, great comics journalism is happening. Less than I would like, but people like Joe Sacco. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's no one doing that kind of beautiful journalistic work in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's an opportunity for everything to be in that form. Pretty much, yeah. Sky's the limit now. Um, you should be able to express what you want to express, how you want to express it. Like, and now you can. Um, yeah. <laughs> when you, when people who you know you, who have never met you before, that you introduce them you, uh, yourself to them, and you say, "I'm a," I, I always, I'm never sure what the right term to use because different people use different ones. Comics artist, cartoonist, um, whatever. But you introduce yourself as that. Do you find that there's like misconceptions they have about you, or things that they assume about you? They're just like, "Well, actually, this is what it's really like." Yeah. Yeah. Like what? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's like that if you're a writer too. I mean, sure. like for years I would introduce myself as a writer and then everyone was telling me about like, oh, if I had more time, I would love to write books and, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> like there's just this way in which people, you know, I, part of it is people just want to relate to you and I think that's great. Sure. Um, but I think often there's just misconceptions about any form of art. I mean, I think painters probably experience the same thing. Sculptors. Yes. Yes. Painters do. <laughs> yeah. I introduced myself as artist, and you already know, like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, he's he's a hermit. He's uh, he's in his room, probably cut his ear off, dark alley somewhere, <laughs> just selling small five dollar paintings on on the street. Mm -hmm. But no, it's it's not like we we live and breathe. We um we work work at schools, work with children. My thing is like working with youth and and doing art programs with them. Like, um, it, it is, it's true to a certain point. <laughs> we, do, we are normal people. We do have normal lives. Um, we just communicate what's going on in the world a little bit differently and, and show you and share it with you. Um, and I just, yeah, just leave it at that. Well, I want to talk about the art programs because I, I think you're seeing like um, comics being used a lot more in education, right? And uh, do you th what, what is it about comics you think are really valuable from an educational perspective? Like what allow like what about them kind of lets kids just like grab like why would we want to use them for education? 
So, because when, you, when you're a kid and you can just draw it out, it's the simplest form of communication. You're not using words. You don't have to worry about how you're gonna form your words. You create a situation on, on a piece of paper or on a computer or on the internet and say, this is how, this is, you either tell a story or tell a joke or you can express how you feel or what you've gone through. For the same reasons too, you might want to connect with, with someone else. Am I, am I the only one going through this? The only way I can tell you that is through three panels or, or a picture of robots shooting lizards on a train. So that's, that's why. And um, then it, it helps them solve problems too, mm -hmm. because I think that's the most crucial part about education, is that education is designed to solve mm -hmm. problems for generations of people. So if you can come up with an idea for a time machine, wink, wink, anybody in here created the time machine already? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you come up with an idea for a time machine, maybe the best way is to kind of draw it out first. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, so like a drafting element. A, a, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's coming up with solutions to problems that may not even, haven't even been created yet and getting them into form here so that it just, the work can do what it does. You know, that's how I think about that. <laughs> so our education is crucial, it's crucial. I think everybody learns in a different way. I think comics probably isn't the right teaching tool for everyone and there's some certainly students that I've worked with who probably could express themselves much better just through writing. Yeah. But yeah. I think uh, sh like just oh, having it as another entrance point I think is really valuable. And yeah. in a certain way comics is like the bridge between text and movie and film. Yep. So I think there's a way in which that can be really useful when like e even like I've seen certain history books translated into comics and things like that. Like I think that's interesting. Um, and what I find kind of interesting too is that so um, I, I dabbled in making comics in high school and I will never share those with anybody <laughs> ever um, but uh, one thing I noticed is that when I when I got used to like writing and doing that sort of like I did the three panel thing I was not overly ambitious I had a template <laughs> and I just used that for everything I didn't even draw backgrounds that's how lazy I was that's good that's right <laughs> that's not right yeah I need uh, no well, <laughs> uh, but the uh, the thing that I kind of found is that it did affect my writing right like I you know it was harder for me to write like long yeah. went, like long-winded things and so I got really used to saying okay can I write this in a very short kind of like uh, you know sequential things bullet points almost but yeah. you know it got harder to kind of think outside do you think is that you find that too like has it affected your ability to do other kinds of writing because you're used to working in this very sequential kind of ordered style uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would call it ordered. Like, right. it doesn't feel ordered to me until, like, everything is a mess until suddenly it comes together and you're, like, shocked that it's coming together. It feels like a miracle every time. Mm -hmm. And then, like, maybe that has to change a hundred more times before the project's actually done. Like, mm -hmm. you have all these little epiphanies that you think are the right thing, and it's just, like, one tiny epiphany that's building to the eventual end. But I think when I started making comics, I was still thinking in paragraphs, and now I think in panels, which does make it sometimes mm -hmm. harder to switch back to prose. Mm -hmm. I agree. I got the same same problem when it comes to coming back to prose. Plus, plus I'm like, a, I'm an MC, so I'm a hip hop artist too. Mm -hmm. So I think everything. First of all, think about it in in rhythm, and then I think about the pacing, like and how you space it out. Cause it's about like bars with like mm -hmm. doing rhymes. And so, yeah. But it's also still getting a lot of information out in a very kind of mm -hmm. quick sort quick of way. Sort of way. Yeah. Quick sort of way. Yeah, I guess that's why I find interesting is that like, you know, there, there's that style to comics and you could maybe argue that it's not that different in, in a lot of ways. Is that it's just how can I get the punchiest thing out yeah. in the smallest amount of space? Because, yeah. you know, if you, if you think about like some of the great comics, like some of them don't even really have like, you can have go pages without having a lot of words. Right. Right? Yeah. You right. like Watchmen or something like that. And it's just like, you can have a page or two where like, Nothing. Nobody says anything. It's just different shots. Like Gibbons is setting See, up these things. That's what I want to start getting better at is yeah. using just pictures, just right. totally sequential, like not having to rely so much on words. That's mm -hmm. one thing I want to start being able to incorporate, kind of like improve my storytelling visually. Because mm -hmm. I think, uh, at least for this first go around, um, I think I relied a little bit too heavily on having feeling like I had to say so much because I was introducing like characters and motivations and stuff like that. 
but that's something I want to explore more in mm -hmm. my work. That whole show don't tell kind mm -hmm. of thing, which Absolutely. is, it, it's always funny to me. Like there are people who are making millions of dollars, like working in television or something like that, who still don't get that. Mm -hmm. So you still have like one character coming in to giving you all the plot exposition <laughs> in like this ten minute chunk. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you could just like no, just like put a picture in the background and have somebody look at it, and okay, cool, we know there's something yep. there, yep. right? Like yep. that goes back to space constraints though too, like the mm -hmm. formula of a television show or something like that. It's sort of similar to I think. I usually don't have the same space constraints in the kind of work that I do that's in book form, but I think people who work in like sequential comics who have 16 pages or 32 pages, like that's a different thing. And there is less space to just like let things breathe, which is also why I think those constraints are frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, okay, so, should I see what else I, I've got to go back to my notes here. I got a lot of stuff. Um, do you want to start maybe taking some questions or maybe kind of from that okay do it does anybody have questions that you want to have, join the conversation I decided that uh this was something I always wanted to do, um, irrespective of race, class, or gender. And, and I don't know, I feel like I was born to do this, and at some point I said, despite all these perceptions, this is something I want to do. This is like, I wrote a bucket list, and I said, this is something I wanted to do. I'm gonna make a comic book, I'm gonna make a cartoon, I'm, I'm, I'm already doing music, so I said, it. This is what I'm going to do. I got an idea, and I made a comic book just, I crowdfunded my first comic book, and people were like, they actually got it, and yeah, I said, screw it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> that goes to me personally. And, and plus, it's also an example, like, that doesn't matter if there's something that you're born to do, and you know you're supposed to do it. Go out and do it. You make a way to do it. Yeah, I agree. I think there is a difference, and I think that's an important question. I think mm -hmm. there's, um, I think that the way that our work gets responded to, like, it does totally matter what our backgrounds are. And, and like, the, the kind of comments I got about my work, even on, like, you know, like, the sort of Goodreads, which is, like, the lowest common denominator of criticism, <laughs> and should, I wish I, it could be deleted from the planet, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, like the way that people felt like they were, like someone who spent 20 minutes with my work was, uh, had suddenly had the opportunity to comment on like how I looked or how I presented mm -hmm. myself or something like that. That's something that just wouldn't happen to a male creator mm -hmm. in the same way. It just wouldn't. And it was, it was just like, okay. just kind of endless, those kinds of, that kind of feedback. And, and it has been a traditionally very white, very male dominated field. Yeah. Um, like the New York Times published an article in the mid you know, I think like 10 years ago or less that was, that started with the graphic novel is a man's world by and large. Oh. Um, and it is, if you look at the bestsellers, it's yeah, generally yeah, the true. case. But it is, like there are some changes, but I think also it's dangerous to be like, look, we have like these four or five successful women cartoonists. Everything's yeah. great. Mm -hmm. Because it's yeah, not. That's no, that's yeah. sad. That's that <laughs> yeah. bull. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like Alan, uh, Alison Bechtel got the MacArthur grant. Yeah, we're good. So we're fine. We're we fixed, yeah, we're good. We fixed yeah. sexism, it's done. Yeah. Um, and same thing with yeah, like we you see, you know, like we see like Storm and Black Panther and all mm -hmm. these, you know, um, you know, comics with black protagonists doing well, and that's not that doesn't mean it solves the problem either. No. Um, let me also ask a question, kind of following up on that. I mean, so you're working, uh, you know, you're you're uh, so you're very engaged in like the the comics uh, convention culture, um, and Kristen, you you, you spent a lot of time reviewing and kind of like talking about comics in, in your work. Have you, have you seen a sort of shift in the kind of stuff that you're seeing at conventions or being submitted? Um, are we seeing more diversity in, in, in terms of both the people creating and the stories that are being told? Kind of, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of it is I think now a lot of editors are like scrambling to like fill some sort of quota, which mm -hmm. is also mm -hmm. I think dangerous. Like j just because it's like that, it's like we can't just check things off and be like, Great, now I'm representing an Asian American. Great, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. that's not that's not that's not the same thing as like a really diverse list. 
And we also need more um, editors of color in, you know, like it's tastemakers like at the highest level need to need to be more diverse too. We can't just, it can't just all be white editors publishing, you know, diverse. There's gotta be some way to get some more exposure then because I do at least, I haven't gotten as far as out of Wisconsin yet, but even from the uh, people who do stories and publishing uh, that I've connected to on um, who do the shows and stuff, there's a diversity of, of actual writers and artists. So a lot of self-published people out here. Yeah. Um, it's just, the, I guess the challenge is just, I guess if we know more writers, we ought to be connecting them, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So um, this is, you know, I'm, I'm my hands out, you know what I'm saying? Because um, I, I have a best friend who's a writer and he does a science fiction series and um, he just happened, and he happens to be African American, and he's brilliant. His name is Jelani Wilson, but um, and and he does sci-fi stuff. Um, did, I, 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 I kind of beholden on the artist to to kind of make help bridge those gaps. Like I'm speaking for myself, um, and and I'm like I said, I'm always welcome to to, to come up with to work with writers and anybody else. And I think it's, it's kind of on the onus of the artist whether or not they want to keep those barriers up or not, but I'm not one of those people, so I'm just letting you know. That's how I feel. We can go from there. It's interesting you bring up barriers, because I think if you look at like the uh, the community around comics sometimes, is that I would say that, and we can agree or disagree, I would say that it feels like most people are very welcoming. They're yeah. accepting because of the nature of the medium, but there's a significant number that are not, right? Um, I mean, you have uh, people who are trying to do the same thing for comics that the that people did for video games with Gamergate. Yeah. They're trying to do that with comics mm -hmm. now. It's not working as well mm -hmm. uh, from, from from what I'm noticing because most of these comics people already saw this happen once before and they're not letting yeah. it happen. But you also still have issues like you know Marvel hired a guy who pretended to be Japanese. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a white guy. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, I've seen some shocked faces. Yeah, this happens in the literary world too, yeah. left yeah. and right. Go ahead. There was like the, the, the yeah. this famous poem which was published under a. A pseudonym. It was a mm -hmm. white person who was published under an Asian name, and it mm -hmm. was in all these anthologies and stuff what? like that, and it became this huge controversy. And yeah, I think the the really crazy. offensive thing is he was he called went by the name Akira Yoshida. So it's like let's get the most famous anime ever, mm -hmm. and let's yeah. also get like this is just really generic last name. Yeah. It was it was weird, but now he's like the editor in chief at Marvel, so like there's no real punishment for that, or like nobody's like thought twice about it in terms of hiring him. Mm. Um, and you also have like people like uh, going after like the artist on the Squirrel Girl comic over there because she specifically draws it as a cartoon, which means she does not draw it the way a lot of comics artists draw it, which is to say, this is for a male audience to ogle. So she's like, her, her Squirrel Girl is like, you know, she's not drawn for the male audience to, to lust after. Um, but, you know, they're saying she's a horrible artist, her art's so ugly, it's like, it's, it's, she's, it's, it's she's weird. doing a different yes. thing. Right. Yeah. right. And it's like it looks substantially different than other comics, but that's kind of the charm and it fits the style and the writing. So it's just weird that there is that sort of like gatekeeping. I don't know if yeah. you guys can speak to totally. any of that, but like. Just that I totally agree. I yeah. mean, I think that there is just a specific style of comics that we've come to expect. I think sometimes we break out of that. Like, Emil Ferris is my favorite thing is Monsters, was probably the most successful mm -hmm. uh, sort of mainstream graphic novel that we published last year that's total I mean she drew it in ballpoint pens mm -hmm. literally I mean it was just so different from everything else but that's that's like the certainly the mm -hmm. exception not the norm yeah and the, it's I, almost. yeah <laughs> but I think what I find kind of interesting is that if you look at the this the uh, um, genres that are doing really really well right it's a, you know, and stuff that's uh, consistent on the best-selling list and all that stuff. It's a lot of the autobiographical stuff. It's a lot of the manga, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And I kind of feel like you know, there are certain genres, specifically the superhero genre, that are kind of getting left behind because they're still catering to that kind of like exclusionary sort of gatekeeper attitude. Do you think that that's kind of the way forward is to not do that anymore? I think. Uh, I, yeah. I also think these things are just they go in trends though. Like we've yeah. had this, we've had like this huge flux of like. DC Marvel movies mm -hmm. and TV shows, and those have done really well. I mean, like, you know, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, mm -hmm. like, um, there's, there's a million, you know, yeah. that have done pretty well. And, like, certainly, like, Netflix and Hulu and all these things have opened up another space. Amazon has opened up another space for those shows to get made in a way they maybe wouldn't have gotten, or they would have been put on, like, the worst cable channel yeah. ever and been, like, stupider written. Right, yeah. 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 Um, I, I remember the late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know. But I also think like putting superheroes on TV is like there's a difference between reading a comic and watching mm -hmm. a, a, a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. But I think those things come and go. I mean, like certainly 
Superman was completely like irrelevant for many years yeah, mm-hmm. for after his after like the the huge success. It kind of I think also comics is just like a reflection of America and a lot mm-hmm. about American politics. Yeah, and we see yeah. that reflected. Yeah. If you I mean you could sort of tell like where we, America was at by reading like a Batman or a superhero comic mm-hmm. from fifty years ago. Yeah, there's yeah. there's the I mean, there's the dark age where yeah. everything's just like grim and awful in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. And it was like the golden age. Yeah. yeah, and then there was like America's the best. Yeah, like when, <laughs> it's basically like propaganda. Yep. Right. So in the propaganda. 50s. Yeah, yeah, but if you think about it like that, you know, the propaganda era that made sense because who was reading at the time was mostly kids, yeah. so you can mm-hmm. kind of like get them started early. Yeah. Um. So it's it is interesting how our relationship with the medium has changed. Um, I know I saw another hand. You had your hand up over there. Yeah, please. Okay, so you guys are talking about you're publishing your comics. And, um, I was just wondering, like, you can maybe go into a little bit about your stepping stones that got you to that point. Yeah. Um, I was writing. I was a writer. Like, I thought I would always be publishing prose. And then I slowly started. Like, I, I think my last semester of graduate school, I tried a graphic essay, like a comic. And thought that was awesome. I'm never going to do that again. That took forever. That was so hard. And then I slowly, it was like a slow coming around to it. And also, people were excited by it. I think coming from the literary world, people were like, whoa, this different thing, because they didn't have exposure to the fact that this stuff was happening really prolifically for a really long time. So then it was just like a slow process of like submitting work and and growing it that way. I did a lot of, like I did a lot of criticism, a lot of literary criticism in comics form, which I think then helped bridge that gap between the literary world and the comics world. And then I would just like submit work to even to places that weren't traditional comics journals. Like I loved a magazine or a website or, and I would just submit the work and a lot of times people were excited to see it. Like I think even if something's not announced as a venue for comics, sometimes it is, it just takes the right editor. Well, uh, mine, mine was a little different. <laughs> um, I used to work at this really crappy job whose name shall remain nameless. And we had a lot of downtime in between calls. So what I did, I was, I was basically in between. I was, this was my bump up job to my, my next teaching job. So I'm in there and I, were, I, and I just, I had a whole lot of time to draw this comic. So I started drawing the comic. So then I decided that I was gonna, uh, I'm gonna make this a book. So I, just started, I just started drawing it. I planned it out like six, three months before I actually started actually drawing the panels. And then I, I did all the, the visual effects and all the coloring and stuff like that. Figured out how much it was gonna cost. Um, went online, did some shopping around and I put it out. I did a crowdfunding first because um, uh, I kind of split the cost with, the, the, my, with my funders. Um, um, just to kind of see also too, because I'm I'm, an, I'm a real artist, so I do that the whole thing about like a, like crushing self doubt. I had a lot of that, so I also kind of wanted to see which one of my friends and family would really be interested in actually you know investing in it. And I got a lot of support, and I was really happy about that. And I'm still thankful for that. So then uh, I did that and uh, uh, sold them, and um, then I said I was going to do some uh, 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 shows in the, the comic shows and I started doing those and I just kept reinvesting in it. Like if it wasn't the promotion part of it, it was the production part of it. And if it wasn't the production part and vice versa and transportation and did a little budget and said, I'm gonna give it six months and then it started then and now I'm here. So that's what I did. Take it step by step. Just look at the first step. Think of it from the end, but step by step. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you real quick about the idea of crowdfunding, because this has been another thing that sort of cropped up in comics and a lot of other, I mean, I know you work in the game space a little bit, it's been huge there as well. Um, the, the idea that you're going and asking people to kind of, invest that's the right, isn't the right word, right? But like it's, it's saying, you know, here's this thing I'm working on, I need some money, I need some help to make it happen. If you're interested in seeing this happen, um, uh, you know, please give me some, uh, some support and you can also maybe get something in return for that. Um, what was your what was your experience with that like? Like, what what did you kind of learn from that? Uh, first of all, uh, you learn who your friends are. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be straight. Um, you also know who your family is. So, um, also, um, at first it was in the beginning it was like I'm a pride thing because now when I see people do it, it's like it's for stupid stuff and. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, but I'm saying like, no, man, you're really gonna get something in return. Like, all I, my thing was, you're basically paying for the cost of it. Um, it's already made, uh, and if you put in chip in on it, it you know you get a piece of it. So, um, I don't worry so much about how it looks because I know it's going to something tangible, something that people who support it will actually get be a part of. And it's also my way of saying thanks for supporting me. Right. I appreciate you. Appreciate you a lot because I would be I would be a artist hermit if it wasn't for you. And I don't want to be an artist hermit because I have a lot of ideas that I want to share with people. And it's something I was that the bucket list thing is like I want to be I want art to be able to support me. And so far it has been. And the best way I can do that and show my appreciation is to keep making it and sharing it. That's it. Kristen, do you have any thoughts on crowdfunding or any experience with it? No, I have no experience with it. Um, I mean, I, there's certainly many ways to reach the same end. Mm -hmm. I think, like, you're one of the success stories for, for every one of you. There's like a hundred that, that really it didn't work and it yeah. didn't take off. Um, and so I do think, like, it's important to be cautious about those things and it's important. It also just depends on what you want your work to do, like, and where you want to see your work going. Like, yeah. you have to understand the constraints of both mainstream publishing and self-publishing. Mm -hmm. Like, mainstream publishing may have less control over how your work is packaged. Like, you get all of that control when you self-publish, but also all of the, every response, part of that responsibility yeah. lies on you. You have to be responsible for every part. And, like, you're probably not going to be in bookstores. Like, there's just certain things like that that you're, that are, it's a trade-off. And I yep. think it just depends on, you have to ask yourself what you want from your work and what you want your work, how you want your work to contribute to the life you're building. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I want to go back to something you said about content, and this is just another forum of ways to do things. And, you know, you mentioned Joe Sacco, and I love Palestine, and yeah. Marvel Strip, but there's not much of that. Totally. Right? Uh, and I'm wondering, especially from your editorial standpoint and what your experiences have been, is there a, a resistance to too much content that seems to be changing? Because, I mean, I, I, what comes to mind for me, and I think about, again, Palestine, which was great. I learned yeah. a lot about the yeah. release by reading that comic book. Yeah. And just uh, last year, for the first time, there is now an introductory psychology textbook in comic, cool. mm -hmm. right? Which is mm -hmm. a lot of content and not as much visual. Right. Yeah. So it seems like there's a change, but from the publishing side, is there that cutoff where you go, no, this is a comic, more visual, less content, or you know, how does that work? Um, you mean like how much text to, to right. image? I think it depends on the project, and I think it even depends on the writer. I mean, w mentioning how there's not that many artists like Joe Sacco, that's totally true. Part of that is the fact that journalism is expensive. Like, it, you have to go, often you have to travel, you have to go somewhere. It's a huge time investment. Like, Joe Sacco spent months doing interviews, all these things, and you have to have a publisher who's willing to fund that and support that. And those are becoming fewer and far between. But I think, like, for me as an editor, I'm working on, I think, three or four pieces with great artists who have not necessarily done comics journalism before that are now, like, on the border doing pieces or, like, in Palestine. And I think we, that's just something that I hope we'll keep opening up a space for. But in terms of the text-to-image ratio, I think that's just completely subjective. And, and it, it totally depends on the project. And even, like, for me, some of my pieces have way more text than others. I think it, it really just depends. I'm going to yeah. defer to what she said. <laughs> is that, does that answer your question yeah. at all? Well, and, and I think that's the whole thing. Where you go. I think there's that expectation. People expect comic books to be unscripted. Yeah. Right. You go, oh, this is boring. This is yeah. Text. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that more of that stuff is coming out. Yeah. It's a great way for more to get information. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I can tell you, um, I, I, so I, when I teach our introduction to communication class, um, I, I have a whole thing on rhetoric. So we go back to Aristotle. And I used to make the students read Aristotle because I was mean. And, um, the, the, but, I, but then there was a comic kind of published like what, uh, what you're talking about reading, um, where it's like, you know, here's like the basics of rhetoric, but it's in comics form. So they've got like the cartoon, and it's like, it's really fun, it's really easy to pick up. And they also, I think, do a better job explaining it than honestly Aristotle ever did. Um, so, like, that, and what I noticed that when I started showing that to students, they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. So that is kind of one of the nice things about, you know, the comics is that, you know, it does kind of make that information, like we were talking about, very accessible and digestible. So I would not be surprised, I think, to see more textbooks heading in that direction. I think it's honestly a really smart way There's to go. so many stories that people have to tell. I don't mm -hmm. see it. Yeah, I see it kind of expanding and growing like that. 
Um, when you were talking about like comic book adaptations, like textbooks or more material, in, when you do that, is there something that's like lost in that adaptation, or, but, or maybe something in particular age? Is there any way to like cover for that almost? Like, it's a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like there is. I don't feel like comic books are the answer to our all of our <laughs> informational problems and like our short attention spans and like. I don't think that's comics are the solution. And I also don't think that, I, I feel like there's also this way in which we're almost talking about how like this helps like dumb, dumb things down so they're more accessible because I think comics are often really complicated and like you, you don't, like a great piece of art every time you return to it should be different to you each time. You should get something new from it each time. And I think if something that stays the same is probably not art. Um, everyone has a different, different definition of art. But I think then when we're talking about marrying art and information, that's important but it's also more complicated and it depends on what the role of this has to be. Like I do think there's certain textbooks, like I don't want my doctors reading medical <laughs> textbooks in <laughs> comics form. You know, like I think there is there is certain, um, there's a time and a place where I think it could be a great opportunity. Yeah, That's a good question. I agree, that is a good question. I agree with you. Um, there are moments where uh, writing is important. Visual language is absolutely crucial, especially when you come to technical things especially yeah. um yeah that's i just yeah. want to throw that in <laughs> Mostly like library Stop journal. Anything. Was that where you would look? Pardon? Would you mostly just look at like library journal? And... Yeah, things like that. You know, there was a variety. Like even back then, they weren't doing a lot. Yeah. What you know, now electronics. Yeah. What today would I? When I read a lot of it, where when I find a hit and miss, where would I go to find what's coming out? Like, what's your next coming? Other artists like I will have to probably both speak to this because I'm sure we go to different places. I think um, Publishers Weekly has cut back on their comics coverage, which is disappointing, but there's still a lot of really great, there's some, like they're reviewing a lot more again now. They, they used to have like a comics new, weekly comics newsletter, which was full of information about stuff that was coming out. But like an online subscription to Publishers Weekly doesn't cost that much. And it's, and you can totally see the things that are coming out in the next like maybe three to four months. I think that's really great. I think places like Comic Book Resource or Comics Journal are good. Um, where else would you? That's what I was speaking at. I didn't quite hear. Yeah. Publishers Weekly. Publishers Weekly. Yeah. They have a great comics uh, podcast run by Calvin Reed. Calvin Reed is like a, an amazing pioneer of comics. He's been at Publishers Weekly since the 80s, and he's the guy who started the comics coverage. So he's like a living great, and he's still there. No. Yeah, but that's going to be mostly stuff that's already been out. So if you're only looking for things that are forthcoming, you should look at like the comics page on Publishers Weekly. Did you say comic first? Or yeah, that one. That one. And um, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know a whole lot of them. One day I just did a Google search and I just started like hitting, and I don't remember them all offhand. But every now and then I check, like um, you know, like look at Diamond and all that shit uh, stuff. <laughs> look at Diamond and all that stuff. Um, diamond publishing and um yeah i just i just do google searches <laughs> i don't know any offhand so i'm still learning too like at the same time i'm learning where to send but material who to send to it to stuff sometimes, especially with, I don't know, like, my generation but they don't read the same stats right. so i'm <laughs> right, it was a book. <laughs> so I don't get, what I'm saying is I don't get reference, you know, things recommended to me by other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, and there are some journals that are actually in kind of the academic space. They are getting more into comics. I know there's the comic, or Journal of Graphic Novels and Comics. Um, there's a, there's a, a bunch of them. I think some of the popular culture, they're doing more coverage. Uh, Communication book notes, uh, I think we'll do that sometimes too. Um, so there, there are some other journals out there that are doing this kind of stuff. And I also find that like Entertainment Weekly and a lot of other publications yeah. are really ramping up their coverage of comics mm -hmm. and 
graphic novels and they're making like you know like uh, I know like um, they did the uh, thousandth issue of Action Comics which was the uh, series in which Superman was created so this is our thousandth issue of Action Comics and that was like a big media event and they were splashing all over so Entertainment Weekly NPR they're all starting to get more into covering this space so those are always good outlets too because and the nice thing too is that like you know there is that kind of like editorial oversight where it's like so if you really want to see the stuff that's really zeitgeisty and really exciting those are good places to check too. So do you learn how to draw first or do you learn how to like write stories or picture first? Like what was the best approach when you decided to draw? I learned how to draw first. I've been drawing since I was a kid and then I would just copy what I saw on TV or what my brothers and cousins were doing. And then Writing I was always good at too, so, but that didn't like really flourish into like middle school, high school. But um, that was drawing first, then, then writing for me. I think I was always doing both, but I didn't know, like drawing is the kind of drawing that I was doing. It was not comics drawing and that's a totally different skill and something that I sort of taught myself how to do when I was drawing my book and something that I think I'll continue to teach myself how to do and will hopefully get better with each book. But um, it took a while to figure out how to do the work together. And I think everyone comes to this stuff in a different way. Like I think when I remember being a student and going to readings and hearing uh, writers and artists talk about their process and being like, you know, I get up at 5 a.m. every day to work. And I would think, oh my God, I don't get up until nine. Like I'm never gonna be an artist. Like I feel like, you know, like what we're saying the way that we arrived where we are or the way that we work is like I think always really interesting to hear but know that you kind of have to make your own way and that there's no prescription kind of for how you do it. And that's kind of what makes your what will make your book or whatever really dope is how you arrive at the process is just as cool as how people will interpret it. Also, it sounds like maybe you should start a book club so your friends mm-hmm. will catch up. And it's and you know the nice thing about it is you are seeing a lot more just diversity and kind of the kinds of comics that are out there. Mm-hmm. And so that can you know whatever your book club's kind of into, you can probably find something along those lines. Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of those, but yeah, it's. There's also a lot of stuff on Amazon. <laughs> there is something called the Comics Journal, if you could read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would recommend like most social media is like Tumblr or It's also a good resource for them to find out because they'll also talk about other people's work too. Yeah. And so they'll like post like on Tumblr they'll post like a panel from a comic and like this gave me all the feels or something like that. Yeah. And so you can be like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that's from. So those are good sources to kind of check out, especially because you know I, I find what's kind of interesting about comics is that like you know there, there's um, there's value I think in both finding kind of like the hidden gems, but also kind of seeing like what's really speaking to people. What's really and social media is a really good way to do that. And you can totally find the hidden gems on social media. Yeah, you can find it all there. Yeah. Like social media it solves everything. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a let me ask maybe a more personal question. I'm gonna kind of put you on the spot here. Um, what's your favorite comic? Like, you know, whether it's influential or whether it's something that you think this is like, you know, important or just like this is the thing that if I want to read a comic or if I want to like you know just kind of like go and just like I feel good reading this or I like it or it makes me laugh or it makes me happy or it makes me think. What 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 do you come back to? Mm-hmm. Akira. Akira. Okay. What what about Akira speaks to you? Oh my gosh. You talk about you talk about pacing. You talk mm-hmm. about being able to tell a story without using uh, words and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, visually, like oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh my I used to copy the oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, Akira. Yeah. Like and the story is amazing and and the art and like all of that. And I wanted super freaky mind powers too. I don't know anybody. 
It was a kid who didn't, mm-hmm. but yeah, that one. I don't know. That's a hard question. It is. I. I know. I, I apologize. <laughs> um. I mean, I, my our is probably like a graphic novel creator, like mm-hmm. Chris Ware or Adrian Chomany or Bechtel, who I mentioned earlier. Um. But I like, in terms of like the superhero stuff, I like like the grittier stuff. Like I think Gotham is like far superior to Metropolis. Like <laughs> I like that sort of the darker. Mm-hmm. And then also the drawing surface is usually more beautiful. Yeah. yeah. The whole man seeing humanity demand kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess what we'll do, uh, what we can do now is like, if you guys want to have like kind of like a, a closing statement or something you want to leave us with or just something that's on your mind, you like just, but if I gave you a minute to talk about something that matters to you in comics, apart from what we've talked about so far, <laughs> you can what go would first it be? Again. Okay. Um. Yes, I do believe there needs to be more representation in storytelling in comics and uh, visual arts, especially, and and especially, especially the lyrical arts. Um, I think it's uh, very important for people to speak their truth, especially in times like now. Um, I know there are a few people who are out there who are discouraged, and sometimes comics is, as a medium is their way out. But it's also a way to speak, speak out. Um, it's also a way for you to express yourself and develop a skill that you might be one to uh, share with other people. So um, this is a time that where I would encourage everyone who's even got the inkling of telling a story to um, speak their truth. Um, you find a way, you make a way to make it uh, uh, visible and tangible so you can share. And it'll kind of just spark a flame like a wildfire. We all got great ideas. We've all got a truth to share. This is. I think the time to do it. So go out and have fun. And I want to thank you guys for having me, especially. Yeah. <laughs> Same, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, comics are for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you both very much for being here. Thank you all for coming out. And, thank uh, you, guys. Thank you. Now go read some comics. Yeah. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.